So today, I'm super excited to be here. We have a full house. I love seeing everyone. I love you, Polly. <laughs> you are just an amazing woman. I just want you to know that. And Robin, you're an amazing daughter. And we're praying for you guys this week. We will all miss Ollie. <laughs> but I just wanted to um, just pray before we start. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word, <clears throat> share what you're speaking to me and what I feel like um, the direction is for 2023. I thank you, Father, that you've slowed it down <laughs> so that we are really able to hear and see what your plan is for this year. And I pray, God, that all of us in here would just set our hearts to understand and not expect to get your fullness in this moment today, but just be open to learn, to hear your voice, to learn to lean in to what you're saying. And I pray, Father, that you would just guide my words. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this room today and into my heart today and into our ears and our minds and our souls. In Jesus' name, everybody, amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to share the word today. I'm grateful for those that I've just met today. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, this year is 2023, and I know it's the end of January, but sometimes we rush into the year and we make our resolutions and, you know, we kind of move on. And by now, we're just like, eh, you know, it's the same, same old, same old. And I can kind of feel that creeping in, but I was kind of thankful that I was able to kind of come back to this word and look at it again. And it's really interesting. I was feeling a little unprepared, even though I wrote this message like a month ago. Because when I looked at it again, I thought, oh my goodness, this doesn't seem right. And the Holy Spirit said something to me, because if you know me, I don't like being unprepared. Like, I will do whatever it takes to be prepared. It's just my personality. But he, he said something very quiet to me this morning. He said, it's not that you're unprepared. It's that you've learned so much more since then. And so this work and what he's doing is a quick work. He is growing us up so quickly, and it's for a purpose and for a reason. So get ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because he has something to say to his church. Has anybody ever gotten a word for the year? Like that's kind of a popular thing. You get a word for the year, right? I really feel like this is God's word for the year. And what I'm talking about is the Hebrew letter Gemel. The Hebrew letter Gemel. It's like his word for a year. And it represents the number three. Because in the Hebrew language, the letter and the number go together. And so we can look at three, and we can relate that to the Hebrew letter, Gimel. And so that's kind of where I always lean into with the Lord and asking him what he's saying for the year is that Hebrew letter, right? Because that's his language. Um, so if you look at the Hebrew letter, Gimel, it's this little symbol, and it almost looks like a little walking animal <laughs> or a little walking man, right? Well, this walking man is, is what they actually kind of think of it as, and they traditionally thought of it as a camel. It's actually where we get the name camel, the, 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 heap, or the English word camel. And so a camel, we know, carried 
things. It was a burden bearer, right? And it carried things across the desert for the Hebrew people. It carried water, it carried people, it carried loads, right? And traditionally, either camel or man, the Hebrew people would look at the letter Gamal or the number three and think of a wealthy man walking towards a poor man with goodwill. And so that was just what they um, had tradition for this letter. It was symbolic of a wealthy man or a rich man walking towards a poor man or someone that needed something to give them what they had. And so leaning into that, I really felt like we were to focus on discipleship. Because we know in Acts, Peter and John were in the temple, and what did the man say that was begging, right, there at the gate? He said, alms, alms, I need money, I need money. And what did Peter and John say? Silver and gold have I none. If you've been in church for a long time, there's a little song, and I won't sing it for you. But it was silver and gold have I none, but such that I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it was just a really powerful picture of we have something the world needs. We have something the world needs. We have this truth, this life, this living water inside of us. Don't question it. You have it. And there are people all around us, not even far out in the world, you know? Like your kids need it. Your nieces need it. Your nephews need it. Your friends need it. Your coworkers need it, right? We have something that we are to give to someone else. And it is the life of Jesus living and breathing inside of us. So last week when we talked, I think it was like three weeks ago, we talked about the qualities of mentorship, or we talked about the qualities of though, that rich man, right? The one that had, the one that has that wants to give. And we talked about those qualities. And this week, I didn't finish it, this week we're going to talk about the disciple. But before we go into that, you don't have to choose what you are. You're not, you don't have to choose, well, let me think here. Am I a mentor? Am I smart enough to be a mentor? Have I been a Christian long enough to be a mentor? Um, can I disciple somebody? The answer is yes. You don't even have to think about it. Because Jesus said, when he, right before he went to heaven, he said, go make disciples. He didn't say, okay, you, you, and you are qualified. The rest of you, just be disciples. He didn't say that. He said, go make disciples. So everyone in this room we're all supposed to be making disciples. But here's the thing. We're also all disciples. We don't have a choice. Are we going to be a Christian or are we going to be a disciple? We don't have a choice. Jesus didn't say go make Christians. That word doesn't even show up until Acts, I think, 11. Right? And it happened because they were in Antioch and they were starting to get persecuted by the culture. And the culture around them saw these fanatical disciples and they labeled them Christians. And so they thought, you know what? Call us whatever you want. But it wasn't an endearing term. <laughs> but they adopted that term Christian because they were okay with being labeled a Christ follower. 
but they were disciples. So that when we are saying yes to Jesus and we we receive salvation, if we just think about it as, yes, I'm a Christian, but we don't adopt the fact that we are disciples, we are learners, we are an apprentice of Jesus, then we might miss the mark, right? Because salvation, let me, let me make an announcement. Salvation is just the starting point. It's not the finish line. Salvation is the starting point. And then after that, we walk out our life as if Jesus was Lala. Jesus was a wife. Like Jesus was a, a pastor and a realtor and whatever else I do, I live my life as Jesus would live my life. And you are to live your life as Jesus would have you live your life. You know, what is a disciple? And so we're going to go to the the basic definition. The disciple was the one who hung out with Jesus, right? They were the ones that were with Jesus. There's this idea, and I think I'm going to buy the book because it just looks interesting, of the dust of the rabbi. Has anybody ever heard of that? The dust of the rabbi. And there's this idea and there's this concept because rabbis were very, very popular back in the, the, that day. And they were teachers who would, who would gather followings, right? And they would teach them as they went. And as they went meant your teacher was walking along the road and you had to get really close to him because he was talking and teaching as he was walking. And there was this concept of like, I'm close to my teacher, so I'm going to get his dust because he kicks up dust in the road. I'm going to get his dust on my robe. I'm going to get a little dirty because I've chosen to stay really close so that I could hear him. The disciples were the ones that were dusty from being with Jesus. There was another concept, and Adrian has a funny story. Ask him about it one time. But that when you had a rabbi, you sat at their feet. (laughs) It's a long story. (laughs) You sat at their feet. And so a rabbi would sit in a chair and all of his disciples would sit at the feet of Jesus while he was teaching them. But guess what? They weren't sitting on beautiful carpet. They were sitting on dust. And so they got dust from the rabbi because they chose to sit and walk close and be close to him so that they could pick up every word he said. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be that disciple. Guess what else happens? We know that the dirty people are disciples, right? (laughs) Because if you have dust on you, I can recognize, wow, you've been with Jesus, right? So disciples should be recognizable. We should live differently. We should think differently. We should talk differently. We should act differently. When we blow up, we say, I'm sorry, I'm not saying you're never going to blow up, right? You're never going to be out of control, but we handle it the way Jesus has handled it. So do I have a choice to become a disciple? The short answer is no, right? And we learned in Acts 11. I'm going ahead of my notes. I guess I'm excited here. So it's the whole idea of spiritual formation. And those of you, don't, don't get scared and, and nervous about that term. Spiritual formation is basically the process of becoming more like Jesus. In a generic sense of a term, because there's a definition that we hold on to, and then there's a definition that just spiritual people hold on to. Have you ever heard that? I'm not a Christian, I'm just spiritual. 
I'm not a disciple. I'm just spiritual. There's a lot of spiritual out there. So spiritual formation can be anything, right? There, there, in more generic terms, there's spiritual formation is a rather general re- term referring to all attempts, means, instruction, and disciplines intended towards deepening of faith and furtherance of spiritual growth. So that could include New Age, that can include Eastern religion, that can, can include the religion of Oprah, right? <laughs> like all of these things. Our culture has a spiritual formation, right? Secularism has a spiritual formation. All of these things constantly try to form us. And if we are not determined and intentional about being formed in the likeness of Christ, guess what? You're being formed. Hitler had a spiritual formation. Mother Teresa had a spiritual formation. We choose to become more and more like Christ. And that is our spiritual formation. We choose to become a disciple of Jesus, not only by getting saved and water baptized, but by choosing every day to be transformed into the image of his son, pursuing the kingdom of God in our life now and living our life the way Jesus would live our life. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I, I don't have that, and Mindy, you don't have to worry about trying to get that up there. It talks about progressively being transformed from glory to glory and into his image. It's a perfect verse for spiritual, um, trans, or spiritual formation. So this morning, as we talk about the qualities of being a disciple, that's the reason we all should embrace the term, I am a disciple of Jesus, right? Like you can even define yourself. Don't call yourself a Christian anymore. Call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Call yourself an apprentice of Jesus. So the qualities of being a disciple that we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to go through them and then we'll dive deep into each of them, are sacrifice. Take sacrifice. It takes honor. It takes devotion. And it takes covenant. Now, I know there are a lot of other qualities of a disciple. But today, I just don't have a lot of time. So I'm going to just talk about these four things of being a disciple. The first thing is sacrifice. It takes sacrifice to be a disciple. You read the scripture verse. Pick up your cross. Cross is a symbol of sacrifice. It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of dying to what we want dying to our own goals, dying to our own dreams, right? And embracing what he wants for us. So when I talk about some of these qualities, I'm talking about qualities that we have towards Jesus. And I'm talking about qualities that we have towards the person that God has put in our life to mentor us and to disciple us. Obviously, they're going to be at different levels. <laughs> I don't want you to pick up your cross for me, right? If I'm discipling you, we're going to point all of that to Jesus, and the right mentor will do that. But it still will require sacrifice. Like, you'll still have to make time in your calendar if I'm discipling you to come to my house and read with me, right? So there's still sacrifices. But Jesus said, put down your nets and follow me. That in that little verse, in that little phrase, they had to quit their job. 
What? Right? I mean, I'm not telling you to quit your job, but some of you might need to quit your job. I don't know. If Jesus tells you to do that, are you going to listen? Right? He told his disciples to quit and follow him. Jesus would never ask me to do that. Okay. But if he does, right? But if he does, we have to be ready to obey. Timothy, let me tell you this. Timothy was a young man. He was probably about 14 when he met Paul, I'm guessing, for all you theologians. Um, But, you know, there was this controversy in the church then. The Jews were circumcised. The Gentiles weren't. Guess what Timothy had to do at 14 years old? Right? Sacrifice. Ruth, right? Ruth, you know the story of Ruth? She had to move. She had to move her from her family, from Moab. She picked up everything and went with her mother-in-law. Major transition in life. She moved with her mother-in-law because she was her disciple. Elisha, he killed his oxen and destroyed his yoke and gave the proceeds away. Again, his career, his business, everything he had worked so hard for, he gave it all up. He sacrificed it to become a disciple of Elijah. So there is sacrifice and discipleship of time, attention, money, energy. You know, let's say you decide to be coached by a life coach, a spiritual life coach. What does it cost? It costs money. It costs effort. It costs, it costs discipline, right? To do that, there's a sacrifice made. Relationships with mentors, helping and assisting in what the mentor is doing. Now, my mom is my spiritual mom too, but man, her adventures, oh my gosh, right? Anybody that knows her? I'm so glad I'm to an age now where I'm like, you're doing that, Mom? Awesome. I bless you in Jesus' name. (laughs) Because there were some years where, man, she would wear us out. And not just me, like a team of 20 people. We We used to own the 65 acres where Walmart is on Levitt Road. She decided she wanted to put a pond in with shovels and chainsaws. So we're like, okay, we'll be there at 8 a.m., Mom. And she had a whole crew working and clearing that property and digging and, and putting water in it. And it was just, oh, my goodness. But she was mentoring as we worked with her. And so there was a sacrifice because we knew if we could just get time with her, that would rub off on us, <laughs> right? So there's an investment of time in the relationship and in the discipleship. But it is worth it. Let me tell you that. It is worth it. It is worth it. To be discipled or to disciple is worth it. Matthew 13, 45, Jesus was speaking and he said, or the kingdom of heaven, because that's what we're pursuing when we're becoming a disciple. The kingdom of heaven is like a jeweler on the lookout for the finest pearls. And what did he do? When he found the pearl more beautiful and valuable than any jewel he had ever seen, the jeweler sold all he had and bought that pearl, his pearl of great price. You know, I've been in ministry for so long. 
I probably started when I was five. I don't know. I grew up here in this church, right? But I'll tell you what, I have never had more fun and been more fulfilled than I have in the last couple months when I've done one-on-one discipleship. Never. I'm selling everything for that pearl of good price. And Pastor Sue, Debbie, when we had lunch that day, a couple months ago, I was convicted because Debbie Demaria, some of you might recognize her name, discipled Pastor Sue when she first got saved. How many years ago was that? 20 years ago. One-on-one. One-on-one, face-to-face with the Bible. Like every week, every 10 days, whatever you guys said, every two weeks. Pastor Sue, guys, right? Like, we can't cut corners anymore. There's no easy way. We have to disciple one another. It is worth it. A disciple sees the value in transformation, and she or he knows that sacrifice is necessary for transformation and will gladly pay the cost, right? We pay for so much nonsense, right? Don't we? Like, we pay for our hair to get done every five weeks because, goodness, you don't want to see my gray hair, right? Like, we pay for so much. But, I mean, this is worth so much more. I'll keep going into the story with Elijah and Elisha because it's really good. In 1 Kings 19, God has commanded Elijah to go and anoint Elisha. So he throws his mantle over him, and he finds him in his field. He finds him in his, in his business, and he throws the mantle over to him. And Elisha just, like, knew what was happening. He knew that he was wanting to mentor him, that he was wanting him to take his place as the prophet of the Lord. And Elisha's like, okay, hold on. I'm going to go and say goodbye to my parents. I'll be right back with you. I'm going to go take care of stuff. And Elijah was like, "Mm mm-mm. And Elisha knew that he had pushed it. He knew that he wasn't sacrificing enough. And so in in the 1 Kings 19, 21, it says, Elisha returned, but not to his parents. He returned and he killed his oxen. Then he used the equipment, the harness, the yoke, the reins, his business material, right? (laughs) And he burned it. He prepared a fire, and he cooked all the ox meat. He offered the food to everyone, and they feasted. Then Elisha joined Elijah and became his apprentice. Everything we think is valuable, man, just burn it. Like, burn it. We have to know that we know that we know that what we're pursuing is what God wants in our life. We have to. We are at the last hour. We don't have any more time to to fiddle around and go, okay, should we? All right, does God really want that? I don't think we really need to go that far. Like, come on, we're in America. We don't have time. It is time to make those hard decisions. So Elisha basically demoted himself from a business owner to an assistant. And again, I'm not telling anybody to quit your job. But... I'm making a point that being a disciple requires sacrifice. We give up the worldly desires, the culture, you know, the cultural list that says we all need this by this age. The greatness, 
the world's idea of success, we just give it all up and we ask ourselves, what is our soul worth? And Adrian already used that scripture in Matthew 16, because <laughs> it's just what Jesus is saying. But the rest of that scripture verse says, does it make sense to truly become successful, but then to hand over your very soul? What is your soul worth, right? Becoming a true disciple takes sacrifice, humility, and work. And we've painted a picture of salvation and transformation that is easy. But it's often difficult. And a lot of people in church, especially up here, won't tell you that. But it's difficult. And it's going to get harder as we go on. (laughs) It's just going to get harder. Because light and darkness don't mix. So instead of creating a bunch of frustrated Christians, we should tell you the truth, right? It requires sacrifice. The second thing that discipleship requires is honor. You know, honor is one of those things. I love words and I love to study, but honor is really hard to study. Has anybody tried to study honor before? It's like this elusive, deep term. Even in the Bible, like it's just really hard to study and really know what honor means. So I'm going to try to define it. To think highly of someone, to respect someone, to value a person for who they are, to recognize the worth of an individual. And I love this one, to see God's glory operating in someone's life. You know, to see God's glory inside of someone and honor that. It's kind of close to affirmation. And I'm not talking about looking in the mirror and affirming yourself. I'm talking about when you affirm someone else. Like, I see Jesus in you. Thank you for doing that. This quality in you is so awesome. It's like doing that, but without words. You know, honor is like doing that, but without words. It's, It's in a silent way. But one thing I have learned about honor is that honor opens the door. Honor opens the door. Dishonor closes it. In Mark 6, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. He was from Nazareth. And so they all knew him, and they're listening to him. And I think at first they were very, very impressed. They're like, wow, he's, he's like really smart. He's got a good word, you know, they're like, you know, and then maybe he, I don't know, it it doesn't say in the Bible, but maybe he like hit a soft spot, you know, (laughs) and they were like, wait a minute, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? They were probably a little offended by something he said, and, and he was like, wait a minute, we know his mother. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. They remembered him when he was a kid. They were like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not, we're, don't listen to him, Right? In Mark 6, 4, Jesus responds and he says, A prophet can find honor anywhere except in his hometown, among his own people and his own household. He could not do any of his great works among them except a few of the sick whom he healed by laying his hands on them. Because we see that dishonor closed the door for Jesus to perform miracles in Nazareth. It closed the door. And so when we honor someone that is discipling us, we open the door to what we can receive 
from them. In Matthew 10, 40 and 41, it says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Because it's not about the human, right? It's not about the human. It's about God choosing that human in the imperfect state that they are and working through them. If you've been in ministry for any time, you know it doesn't matter who they are, what TV they're on, how many airplanes they have. Like, they're not perfect. Trust me, right? And I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. Don't look at the human. Recognize the glory in someone because that's what you'll get if you honor them. You'll get that glory from God through them to you if you choose to honor. The rest of that scripture verse says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So we open the door with our honor as a disciple. When we honor a mentor or someone that we look up to, we cover their imperfections. We see it. We just cover it. Yeah, love covers a multitude of sins. Like Shem and Japheth, they were Noah's son. And after all the stuff that happened with Noah, he messed up. He got drunk. And he was laying in the cave naked, right? And his one son made fun of him. But his two sons, Shem and Japheth, they chose not to call him out for being drunk and making a mistake. Instead, what did they do? They covered him. They said, I'm going to cover him because I'm going to honor. David refused to touch Saul. He had an opportunity. Saul was trying to kill him. And he had an opportunity to, in defense, right, kill Saul. But David said, I'm not touching him. God anointed him. Instead, he chose to cover him. And this is what happens when we choose to walk in honor as disciples. Honor doesn't mean to keep the false peace, right? And like just absorb all the pain. It means just to act like Jesus. Express your feelings. Express your hurt. You know, talk about things, but you don't have to dishonor. Honor is a quality of a disciple. The third thing is devotion. Devotion. I love the story of Naomi and Ruth. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And when, when Naomi said, you know, our hus- my husband died, your husband, my son died, just go back. Just go back to Israel. You don't have to stay in Moab with me. And Ruth looked at her mother-in-law and she said, no way. Where I go, where you go, I go. And where you stay, I stay. Ruth chose to stay with her mother-in-law, even though she was far away from home. And then finally, they traveled back to Israel, right? And it was hard for Ruth to be in Israel as a Moabite. Because back then, racism was not like a bad, I mean, they like didn't think it was bad. So they hated Moabites. They didn't like Moabites because Moabites got them in trouble with their idols. And God had to punish Israel because they intermarried with the Moabites. So Ruth showed up in this Israel in this Israelite community, and she wasn't 
like looked upon with favor. She was scorned and despised, and she didn't even have a husband. It was like two single women showing up. And back then, that wasn't easy to live and survive, right? But she chose to be devoted to Naomi no matter what. She was devoted in spite of vulnerability and difficulty. But this is why covenant is so important, and we're going to let we're going to close with the covenant. But devotion, as a as a disciple, is important. Ruth said, "May the eternal one punish me, and even more so if anything besides death comes between us." And she didn't just choose to be devoted to Naomi; God told her to be de- devoted to Naomi, because this is why He had a plan. He had, he had Naomi and Boaz waiting. Her next husband, Boaz, was a gift from God to her. But she couldn't have that unless she obeyed God and was devoted to Naomi. Your devotion will unlock God's promise in your life. And it wasn't just Boaz. She ended up being the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus because of her devotion to Naomi. So as a disciple of Jesus, we have to choose to be devoted to God in obedience and then to one another. Romans 12.10, it says, live in true devotion to one another, loving each other as sisters and brothers. As sisters and brothers that love each other, right? The last one, and it was the last one with the mentor quality as well, is covenant. Because covenant takes two people, doesn't it? It takes two people. It takes the mentor and the disciple. It takes the Lord and us to be in covenant. Jesus said, go make disciples. And when we enter into a discipleship relationship, we covenant with one another. But we first enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus, with obedience to him. When he said to go make disciples, we are becoming his disciple first and then committing to one another in love. And in this discipleship relationship, you say, I'm on this journey with you. I will speak the truth in love to you, even if it's hard to confront. This is the community that Paul was talking about. I will pray with you during hard times. I will believe in you and support you. I'll recognize the purpose of God in your life. As a disciple, I will be faithful to you. I will respect you, and I'll show you honor and devotion. This is the covenant that God gives his people his church, his disciples. In John 13, 34, this is what Jesus said, and I believe it's a beautiful description of this discipleship relationship. He said, so I give you a new command. Love each other deeply and fully. Remember the ways that I have loved you. See, he's telling them, remember what it was like for you to be my disciple. Remember what it was like for me to be your mentor. That's what he was describing here. 
Remember what it was like when I was here and you were following me around in my dust, right? What it was like when you were sitting on the floor and I was teaching you. Remember that and demonstrate your love for others in those same ways. Isn't that good? I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. That Jesus wants us to treat each other how he treated his 12 disciples. He wants us to have that kind of relationship with one another. And then look at verse 35. And I didn't give them these scriptures. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it, Mindy. I'll read it. Listen to verse 35. (laughs) Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate your love to others. What? If we disciple one another like this, everyone is going to know that we are Jesus followers. And that's probably where the word Christian came from, right? Because they were like, look at them. They're discipling like that guy Jesus did. We're going to call them Christians because they're Christ followers. Okay, call me a Christian, disciple, apprentice, I don't care, whatever you want to call us, right? But we do what Jesus did with those 12 disciples. Covenant is not a one-way relationship, but requires both parties to make promises to each other. And when we do that, we are modeling heaven for the world. We're modeling heaven, the covenant between God and his people to the world when we modeled that covenant between us as disciples and mentors. So we bring heaven to earth when we covenant with one another. Friendship, marriage, discipleship, it all requires the covenant of love. So as you can tell, I'm really, really passionate about that right now. And I feel like God is just growing us so quickly, and it's not quick enough. That's how I feel. So I'm going to challenge you. I brought my book again, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep showing it. This book is not the book. It's not the answer, but it's a great cheap tool. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, you can get it for $5 on Christian Book Distributor or Amazon. I think it's $12 on Amazon. But my testimony is like, I ask people and I'm like, do you want to do this purple book with me? You know, they're like, yeah. I'm like, what? You do? You know, my nephew, I mean, he's, he's not watching. He's a senior. He's got a full ride scholarship to play football. And he told me, yes. I'm like, what? Okay, I'll make you food. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just so humbled because guess what? It's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. It's God's word for the year. Like, he's doing it. So I'm encouraging you to get something. Maybe it's not this book. It could be this book, right? (laughs) Whatever it is. But just invite someone into relationship with you, into covenant with you and him, and teach them, and learn from them, and create heaven on earth for this world to see. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. You bring it alive in our own lives, in our own hearts. 
I thank you for the direction that you're taking me and us and your church. I thank you, Father, for the challenge to disciple. And I pray, God, that this same fire would burn in every heart in this room and that they would feel and hear the call of God to disciple and to be a disciple. And as we obey, Father, I know that you're going to do something so amazing with us. That they're going to see us. They're going to watch. They're going to watch something amazing happen in this little campus, God. Thank you, Father, for the word that this place would be a discipleship center. <laughs> Thank you, Father, that this is a transformation center, Father. That you are transforming us from glory to glory. And I thank you, Father, that we are obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to dismiss in a second, but I do want to give opportunity. If you're here today and you need prayer, you need deliverance, you need healing, this is the right place to come. And I'm going to invite you to come up and receive prayer. If you want to rededicate your life or be saved for the first time, I'm going to invite just some of our leaders to come up and be ready to pray with someone. But it's important, right? It's important to not leave here until your life is right with God. So I'm just going to invite you to do that. Father, we thank you and we bless these people here in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.